Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini. Chapter 1 Miriam was five years old the first time she heard the word Harami. It happened on a Thursday. It must have, because Miriam remembered that she had been restless and preoccupied that day. The way she was only on Thursdays. The way when Jaleel visited her at the Kolba. The time passed until the moment that she would see him at last. Crossed the knee-high grass in the clearance and waving, Miriam had climbed a chair and taken down her mother's Chinese tea set. The tea set was the sole relic that Miriam's mother, Nana, had of her own mother, who had died when Nana was two. Nana cherished each blue and white porcelain piece, the graceful curve of the pot's spout, the hand-painted finches and the chrysanthemums, the dragon on the sugar bowl meant to ward off evil. It was the last piece that slipped from Miriam's fingers that fell to the wooden floorboards of the kolba and shattered. When Nana saw the bowl, her face flushed red and her upper lip shivered, and her eyes, both the lazy one and the good, settled on Miriam in a flat, unblinking way. Nana looked so mad that Miriam feared the djinn would enter her mother's body again, but the djinn didn't come, not that time. Instead, Nana grabbed Miriam by the wrists, pulled her close, and through gritted teeth said, You're a clumsy little harami. This is my reward for everything I've endured, an heirloom, breaking, clumsy little harami. At the time, Miriam did not understand. She did not know that this word harami, bastard, meant. Nor was she old enough to appreciate the injustice to see that it is the creators of harami who are culpable, not the harami, whose only son is being born. Miriam did surmise, by the way. Nana said the word. It was an ugly, loathsome thing to be a harami, like an insect, like the scurrying cockroaches Nana was always cursing and sweeping out of the kolba. Later, when she was older, Miriam did understand. It was the way Nana uttered the word, not so much saying it as spitting it at her. That made Miriam feel the full sting of it. She understood then what Nana meant, that a harami was an unwanted thing, that she, Miriam, was an illegitimate person who would never have legitimate claim to the things other people had, things such as love, family, home, acceptance. Jalil never called Miriam this name. Jalil said she was his little flower. He was fond of sitting on her lap and telling her stories, like the time he told her that Herat, the city where Miriam was born in 1959, had once been the cradle of Persian culture, the home of writers, painters, and Sufis. You couldn't stretch a leg in here without poking a poet in the butt, he laughed. Jaleel told her the story of Queen Gauhar Sahad, who had raised the famous minarets as her loving ode to Herat back in the 15th century. He described to her the green wheat fields of Herat, the orchards, the vines pregnant with plump grapes, and the city's crowded, vaulted bazaars. There is a pistachio tree, Jaleel said one day, and beneath it, Miriam Joe is buried none other than the great poet Jamie. He leaned in and whispered, Jamie lived over 500 years ago. He did. I took you there once, to the tree. You were little. You wouldn't remember. It was true. Miriam didn't remember. And though she would live the first 15 years of her life within walking distance of Herat, Miriam would never see this storied tree. She would never see the famous minarets up close, and she would never pick the fruit from Herat's orchards, or stroll in its fields of wheat. But whenever Jaleel talked like this, Miriam would listen with enchantment. She would admire Jaleel for his vast and worldly knowledge. She would quiver with pride to have a father who knew such things. 
What rich lies, Nana said after Julia left. Rich man telling rich lies. He never took you to any tree, and don't let him charm you. He betrayed us, your beloved father. He cast us out. He cast us out of his big fancy house like we were nothing to him. He did it happily. Miriam would listen dutifully to this. She never dared to say to Nana how much she disliked her talking this way about Julio. The truth was that around Julio, Miriam did not feel at all like a Harami. For an hour or two every Thursday, when Julio came to see her, all smiles and gifts and endearments, Miriam felt deserving of all the beauty and bounty that life had to give. And for this, Miriam loved Julio, even if she had to share him. Julio had three wives and nine children, nine legitimate children, all of whom were strangers to Miriam. He was one of Herat's wealthiest men. He owned a cinema, which Miriam had never seen, but at her insistence, Julio had described it to her, and so she knew that the facade was made of blue and tan terracotta tiles, that it had private balcony seats and a tree-sealed ceiling. Doubled swinging doors opened into a tiled lobby, where posters of Hindi films were encased in glass displays. On Tuesdays, Jaleel said, one day, kids got free ice cream at the concession stand. Nana smiled demurely when he said this. She waited until he had left the kolba before snickering and saying, the children of strangers get ice cream. What do you get, Miriam? Stories of ice cream. In addition to the cinema, Jaleel owned land in Karok, land in Farah, three carpet stores, a clothing shop, and a black 1956 Buett Roadmaster. He was one of Herat's best-connected men, friend of the mayor and provincial governor. He had a cook, a driver, and three housekeepers. Nana had been one of the housekeepers until her belly began to swell. When that happened, Nana said, the collective gasp of Jaleel's family sucked the air out of Herat. His in-laws swore blood would flow. The wives demanded that he throw her out. Nana's own father, who was lowly stone carver in the nearby village of Goldaman, disowned her. Disgraced, he packed his things and boarded a bus to Iran, never to be seen or heard from again. Sometimes, Nana said early one morning when she was feeding the chickens outside the kolba, I wish my father had had the stomach to sharpen one of his knives and do the honorable thing. It might have been better for me. She tossed another handful of seeds into the coop, paused, and looked at Miriam. Better for you too, maybe. It would have spared you the grief of knowing that you are what you are. But he was a coward, my father. He didn't have the dill, the heart for it. Jaleel didn't have the dill either, Nana said, to do the honorable thing, to stand up to his family, to his wives and in-laws, and accept responsibility for what he had done. Instead, behind closed doors, a face-saving deal had been quickly struck. The next day, he had made her gather her few things from the servants' quarters, where she had been living, and sent her off. Do you know what he told his wives by way of defense? that I forced myself on him, that it was my fault. Didi, you see? This is what it means to be a woman in this world. Nana put down the bowl of chicken feed. She lifted Miriam's chin with a finger. Look at me, Miriam. Reluctantly, Miriam did. Nana said, Learn this now and learn it well, my daughter. Like a compass needle that points north, a man's accusing finger always finds a woman. Always. You remember that, Miriam.